Thank you. Was this on? I'll shut it off. I forgot that I didn't even have a mic. Sorry for all y'all watching online. Guess what? Come to church. Okay, so anyway, uh, I'm going to preach just from the Bible, so you're going to need to follow along from the Bible, and if I somehow stumble or lose my way, then I'll use my notes as a crutch, okay? But basically what I want to do is take you in through the triumphal entry, but before we do that, before we even open God's word, will you please join with me in prayer? God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for this time that you've allowed us to get together. As we are about to dive into a text that so many of us have heard probably so many different times, for some of us, maybe this is the first time, God, I pray that you would help us all to see it with new eyes. I pray that you would help us all to hear it with new ears. God, I pray that as we hear this text about Jesus coming into the temple and referred to as the triumphal entry, referred to as Palm Sunday, is what we celebrate as a church body. God, it would be my prayer that you would help us to not only hear it, but experience it the way that the first century church did and the way that these who were there would have. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, this word would be made clear. And that by your same Holy Spirit, you would affect our hearts and minds to have your good will and good pleasure done on each of us. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen. And so if you open up, this is going to be difficult holding the mic. I forgot that I was holding the mic nowadays. All right, so Matthew chapter, oh, I'm sorry, it's 21. I've got the wrong thing on there. Matthew 21, 1 through 21. And none of you caught that? I heard all those pages turn. Come on now. Come on now. All right, 21, verse 1. Uh, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied to a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and they will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Here's a few things I want to make sure we see right here in the text before we move on any farther. And that's this, that Jesus, like us, or like the people who are with Jesus, they experience God when they draw near to Jesus. He's drawing near to Jerusalem, that's the place of God. So for years and years, this temple of the Jews has been there at Jerusalem, and this is where Jesus is going. Just like God in the Old Testament, Jesus wants to dwell with his people. And so the question that I would have for you this morning, before we kick off anything, is do you want to dwell near to Jesus? Because just because Jesus wants to dwell near to you doesn't mean that you always want to dwell near to him. In the text, we see that he's coming into Jerusalem, and in one vein, in one day, as we read through Matthew now, we're going to see some of these people are now shouting out acclamations, and then several days later, they're going to be shouting out, crucify him. And so I just want to ask you, before we even begin, how fickle is your heart to this God? As he comes to you even now, this morning, will you truly say, you're welcome in? Or is there a part of your heart of which you are holding on to that you're allowing darkness to dwell and instead saying, no, 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 this part's mine. 
Because as we see in the text, who owns Jerusalem, this holy city, this city set on a hill? Who from time before has promised this to his people saying, I will make you my people and I will set up before you a tabernacle and I will bring you to a promised land and I will dwell with you. And then we see throughout the history of scripture that they have turned their back on this God and followed after false gods, their own flesh, false idols. And so the question remains for us. As Jesus draws near to Jerusalem, I believe that every single Sunday, this Sunday no different, Jesus is seeking to draw near to you. And so which people will you be? Will you be a people who simply acclaims him with your mouths or will you be a people who acclaims him with your hearts? Because both of these sets looked the same way on this road on this particular day. You could not tell them apart. As we've already read in Scripture, Jesus says the same thing about the church. He says the wheat and the tares will grow up along with one another, and one day the harvest will come, and then the wheat will be gathered into the barns, but the tares will be thrown out into the fire. And so please don't tell me things that you've done. Don't tell me, Pastor, I've prayed a prayer. Or don't tell me, hey, I've, I've been baptized. Or don't tell me, hey, I tithe regularly, or I come to church. Because when Jesus came to Jerusalem, don't you know that it says in Luke that he wept over it? He wept over it because he understood that they did not understand who he was and why he was coming and what he wanted for them. And my fear is is that in our westernized view of Christianity that we so often think that we can come to Jesus proud and boastful and honoring him with our lips, but our hearts being far from him, and somehow, somehow he is fooled by that, or somehow he is actually honored by that? And so as we begin, I want you to see that all of this is a culmination, and Jesus is finally now coming to the place. He has never been to Jerusalem before, and perhaps you this morning. Perhaps you're here today and you are sitting here thinking to yourself, I've never had an experience with Jesus the way that the text talks about. I've never felt like Jesus is here and is close to me today. Well, let me tell you, we are often deceived by our hearts and by our feelings. The word tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked. And who can understand them? Did God give you feelings? Yes, absolutely. But he did not give you feelings to be driven by them. He gave you his words that you might understand truth. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, man, I've I've never felt like Jerusalem. I've never felt like Jesus has actually drawn near to me. I'm here to tell you and to prophesy over you, I suppose. He is here and he's drawing near to you this morning. And so what will your heart's answer be? And so as he comes into Jerusalem, we see then this famous part of this thing where he grabs these donkeys and he brings these donkeys. He tells his disciples, go get these donkeys, and they bring to him. And, he, and his answer there, I think, sometimes escapes us. Uh, Tell them that the Lord needs them. And Jesus' assumption, his understanding here is that with that will answer any disparity. That with the answer, the Lord has need of them, they will be given freely. And this shows us an attribute of our king. You see, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem as a king. Let that not escape you. If you've heard Palm Sunday services before, you've seen kids line up. 
You've seen them come and they lay their palm branches down or all these things. Do you, do you understand that this was a tradition of how kings would enter in? People would take their cloaks off and they would take the palm branches off and they would lay them on the road and then he would come in as a donkey. Zechariah 9 is where this text is at. You can turn there if you would like to. But Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation as he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then in verse 10, which isn't quoted here, he says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall cut, be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So make no mistake, Jesus is entering in not just to be crucified. He is entering in as a king. And all of this took place to fulfill what was prophesied there in Zechariah and other places in the Old Testament where it talks about this Messiah figure and how he would come to Jerusalem. And so the disciples went and they did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. We're in verse 8 now of 21. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground. The others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. One of the words that stuck out to me as I was reading over this is the word most. Not all. Again, Jesus is very clear when he says this, that even those who are in the assembly will cry, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And he says, many are those who will not make it into the kingdom. Many are those who will go to destruction, and few are those who will actually find the road to salvation. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground. The others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, if you've heard Palm Sunday services about this before, maybe you know what Hosanna means. Hosanna is just a transliteration of the word there, but what it means is save us. And so they're saying, save us to the son of David. And so here's the scary part of the text. They're crying out to Jesus, this carpenter of a little town in in Israel of, of Nazareth. They're crying out to him, save us, son of David. Which again, that shows us that we can be chalked full of Bible knowledge. You can quote scripture and still go to hell. You can recognize the Messiah. You can have mental assent to who he is and still not have him in your hearts. You can recognize Jesus as king. You can recognize him as savior. You can ascribe to him those titles. But if you don't know him, then he does not know you. So these people are crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save us to the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. That's how close they were to the truth. 
They said he was a prophet. And many of them asked who he was. I find that so interesting that he can be so popular and so widely known. And yet these people are asking the same questions that those who are closest to him asked to. Or that Jesus asked to them, who do you say that I am? And so as we go on, it says that he entered the temple. He drove out all who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. It means they were mad, they were furious. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you not read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany to lodge there. And we're going to read 18 through 22 in here in just a minute. But as we pause here, So Jesus went into the temple because he owned the temple. As Jesus went into the temple, he drove out those who did not belong in the temple. You know, our culture today likes to make the difference and the dichotomy between the God of the Old Testament and Jesus of the New Testament. And and I think they're right in that to some degree because of what they see, but they don't see deep enough. Because I would say that those who make that assumption are these who are blind and who are lame, and we ought to come to Christ and be healed and be given sight. But as Jesus enters the temple, he does exactly what the God of the Old Testament would have done. He drives out all those things that do not belong there. And so, see, Jesus is jealous for the things that belong to him. Jesus cares for the things that belong to him. Jesus cares about glorification of the Father. He even says, that's why you've sent me, that I would glorify you and that they would see me and they would give you glory. And he says, glorify me with the glory that I had at the beginning, right? So that, so that they could see me in your glory. And so that's all Jesus was here for, to save us and to glorify the Father. That was his role and his goal. And so as Jesus comes to this temple, he is jealous over it, and he drives these things out. And we see in the New Testament later on, if you apply this to yourself, what is the, what is the temple of God now? We are. See, Jesus wants to dwell within you, and yet here we are within our own selves, keeping money changers and pigeons and all kinds of things that do not belong to the kingdom of God. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us, rather than us flipping the tables over in our own hearts and dealing with that sin, we say to God, hey, but you have to understand there's a reason for this. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer. Do you know why the church is weak in America? Because we don't pray like we should. You know why the church is weak in America? Because we're not casting out those that need to be cast out. That we're just letting the windows of our temple absorb all kinds of things and then dwell within our hearts. And inside our hearts, we're bringing in these animals. And instead, they're they're coming out of our mouths so we have unclean speech. We have things that never should have been in there, and yet we're allowing them in time and time again. Do you understand that Jesus is jealous for you? Jesus wants to purify you. I don't mean that he wants you to lose 20 pounds or to look five years younger. What I mean is that Jesus cares about your heart. He cares that the worship of the temple is pure. 
He is jealous for his bride. He cries over Jerusalem when he comes in in Luke, like I talked about. He weeps over them because he says, you do not know what would make for peace. And I think a lot of the times the same can be said of us. We think what makes for peace is looking good on the outside or saying the right things or having things memorized, but what makes for peace is a broken and contrite heart before God. What makes for peace is having our temple cleansed by the power of the Holy Spirit and then allowing him access to every corner of it that he might cast out the things that do not belong there and so preserve us and make us holy. And I would posit to us the way that happens best is that our house should be called a house of prayer. Now, I'm not a name it, claim it kind of theology guy, but I do want you to see here what has happened. I want you to see these chain of events. The first thing is that Jesus has to come into the temple. Nothing gets driven out of the temple unless Jesus enters in. And so my friend, if Jesus hasn't entered into your temple through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's where you begin. The second thing that happens here is that after he does that, he tells them what they should be doing. So he corrects them from what they were doing wrong, and then he shows them what they should be doing. He says, my house should be a house of prayer. And so the first thing is, is you need Jesus to come in. The second thing you need to do is listen to Jesus and allow him to teach you what it is we should be doing and following after him, and learning from him. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my burden is easy and is light. And yet we try to make all these other things for it instead. We try to make all these other things that we need to check boxes off. And the next thing that happens, and this is what I mean, I'm not a name it, claim it, but here's what happens. It says it right here. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Do you have things that are broken inside of you? I mean, do you have bitterness and depression and self-doubt and self-hatred or these other issues? You know, we're going through identity crisis in America right now. Uh, There's lots of us who are here that would say, hey, our our nation was founded on biblical principles and therefore we're a Christian nation. And then there are other peoples that that would say, no, 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 our nation is whatever we want to say it is and so am I. I love America just like the next person, but my concern is not with America. My concern is with heaven, and yours ought to be too. And, and the folks that don't have a right identity because of the other things that they're chasing are really things that need to be cast out. And then it says those who are blind and those who are lame, myself included, yourself included, don't judge other people who just say it on TikTok. The places that you are broken at can only be healed when we allow Jesus to come in and flip the tables of our life over. Because on those tables in our own hearts that we're building those idols that profane our temple. I don't know what that is for you. And then you have this dichotomy between the new man and the old man. I think the old man here is these chief priests. It says, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the child crying out, Hosanna, they were indignant. Because the truth is to really allow yourself to be led by and obedient to Christ is painful. And it's going to cause you to lose relationships with others who are outside of that, who don't want to deal with that. All the more as we continue down this path.
as we continue, he left there, and it says in verse 18, In the morning, as he returned to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now again, this is probably a whole other sermon to talk about that second half of that. And how we ought to be in prayer. But I'll, I'll just give you real quick, just in case you're wondering about my theology. Uh, here's, here's what I believe and, and here's what I think that the Bible teaches. We should pray with reckless abandoned in faith in God. And then also understand that he is sovereign and we are not. And he can choose to do whatever he wants. And so it's our job to seek to be under his will and pray according to what we know his will to be. And leave anything outside his will that we don't know about up to him. And like Job, just shut our mouths before the Lord and say, you are God and I am not. But let's go back to the things that I do want to talk about for this morning. Jesus came to the temple. Jesus was worshipped by mouth and not by heart. Jesus turned upside down the things that were happening in the the temple. And then he left. But rest assured, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again in the morning, in the text, and Jesus is coming again someday for you and I, really physically, to this world, to deal with all of these temple issues all at once. And woe to those who do not allow Jesus to cleanse their temple before that day. And this is what I see an illustration of here. I see an illustration of my own wicked heart from time to time. I see an uh, an illustration of the American church from time to time. And and I pray that by God's mercies, he might show you where you are an olive tree bearing nothing but leaves so that you might be pruned and there might be olives for our Lord and Savior when he comes hungry, waiting to be satisfied by a church that is supposed to do his will and bear fruit for repentance in this world. Here's the thing that's crazy to me. Is God not sovereign over all things? I mean, he cast the stars into the heavens, knows every single one of those of their names, right? He just got done telling them, you can't even change the hairs on your head, so why are you worried about tomorrow? He says, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, all these things will be added to you, right? He just got done doing all of these marvelous, miraculous events, telling them that even the sparrows need not worry because Jesus is going to feed them. So let me propose to you a question. Who planted this olive tree? Jesus did. God did. He orchestrated it with his sovereign will over all of his creation. And when he came to it, it bore no fruits. Now the human side of me wants to look at this and say, Jesus, get over yourself with your temper tantrum. But the spiritual side of me says, if God's word is authoritative, as it says, and all of it is acceptable to us and worthy of being studied for uh, holiness, then this text is here for a reason. 
which means that I must struggle with it to preach it, and you must struggle with me to understand what it is that I'm trying to tell you. And even more than that, what the text is trying to tell you. And so in the morning when he returns to the city, he was hungry. Now let's think about what he said as he was talking to the woman at the well. And they wanted to go and get food. And Jesus said, I have food you don't know about. I have food that is, that, that is doing the will of my Father who sent me. That's what sustains me. And now he comes to this tree that is producing no food for anyone, and Jesus curses it. How can it not be an illustration to what is exactly about to happen to Jerusalem? Because he is about to be crucified, and there's going to be no fruit from those who are in Israel. The Messiah is coming. You are heralding him with your mouth, and yet at the end of the day when he comes back hungry, there's nothing for him. And he says, therefore, you're going to be withered. And then Jesus later talks about another olive tree. And how there's going to be a wild branch that's going to be grafted into this olive tree. And how that olive branch is only there because the previous olive tree had branches that were pruned off. And his expectation is is that that olive branch will bear the fruit that he is looking for. Who is that, beloved? Do not allow Jesus to come to your life hungry. This is the message I have to preach to myself. And this is the message I must preach to you. There is a day when Christ is returning. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I would be happy to bring my Lord and Savior even a crumb that falls from the children's table. And so my question for you this morning is, as we look at this triumphal entry and we hear Palm Sunday and we see the kids bring the branches and we hear about the story of him riding in the donkeys and all those things, do you understand that this time is his first time coming? It's his first time coming to his people and to his church, which was Jerusalem at that point. And then after his death, burial, and resurrection, he sends the Holy Spirit, which allows everyone to be a part of that church who would believe and receive that Holy Spirit. And that's fulfilling the promise to Abraham. Okay, are you following? I know I'm talking fast. And what's happening is the first time he comes he comes riding a donkey and scripture tells us that riding a donkey is the illustration of a of a king coming to his temple in peace but revelation tells us the second time he comes he's going to be coming on a stallion on a horse and from his mouth is going to proceed a sword And so I want for you to be jealous for your temple to be cleansed. I want you to be jealous to not only say with your mouth, Hosanna in the highest, but to cry with your inmost heart, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Lord, save us, we pray. Hosanna in the highest. I want for when him to come, for him to come to you as the olive branch who has been grafted in and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant with all the fruit that he gets to harvest from your life. And I think that if you love Jesus, that is what you want too. And so this sermon is not meant to be a rebuke. This sermon is meant to be for two people. One, for those who don't know Jesus. I want you to be scared because he is coming back. And the next time he comes back, he's going to chop down the tree, not just wither it. He's going to chop it down and he's going to throw it into the fire. Anything that doesn't produce fruit is getting burned. The second people that this sermon is for, and I hope it's for
majority of you is for those of us who are saved, be jealous for producing fruit. If you were not serious when you came in here this morning, get serious before you walk out those doors. He has called you to ministry. He has called you to bear fruit. I don't know what that means for you individually, but I know what it means for me. And I promise you that I will pray for you if you promise to pray for me. Because that is what our houses are supposed to be built for. That is what this place is supposed to be for. A place of prayer, a place of worship, a place that we can come back and get messages like this so then you can go out into the community and be the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm just the mouth. And so in this triumphal entry, I think we see a very clear illustration of not only Jesus' first coming, but of his second. I don't know how to close this because I didn't plan for this sermon. So here's what I'm going to say. Whatever I have not made clear, I pray that the Holy Spirit would to you. Whatever conviction you might feel, recognize that it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus. And I pray that before you leave this room today, you will make a short account to him and that you will, with not only your lips, but with your heart, say, Hosanna to the Son of David. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, it is in your name we pray. It is by your blood we come. It is because of you that we are here and gathered together, and in you we rejoice because you are worthy. In fact, your word says, and we long to say with the rest of the saints, worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive honor and glory and power forever and ever with all those martyred who will gather around your throne, as John tells us in the book of Revelation, that we might one day look upon him who was pierced, he who was pierced for our transgressions by his wounds that we were healed. We might look upon him in sorrow, but also mingled with joy, that he might come to us with open arms, embracing us, welcoming us in as children, rather than casting us out. That is our prayer. And that we might bear fruit in keeping with repentance so that your name might be testified and glorified as the one who has done that. So it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.